1: this is squawk pod i'm cnbc producer katie kramer today on our podcast inauguration day billionaire investor leon cooperman on the markets to come under
2: president joe biden we have a very difficult situation out there because i think in the near term It's hard to fight the market, but somewhere along the way, we're going to have to pay for the party when the party is over. When and where he'll be looking for alpha. I look for value, but I do have long-term concerns because I think the policies we're running are unsustainable.
1: Plus, recapping President Trump's last acts in office pardons with CNBC's Eamon Javers.
3: It really does read like sort of a greatest hits list of recent American public corruption scandals.
1: It's Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, the start of the Biden era. Squawk Pod begins right now.
4: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It is Inauguration Day.
5: We're playing that music. You hear that music? Serious day, serious day when we play that music, President, you know, we're not making fun of this. We're we're, we're very serious. It's a big day. President-elect Joe Biden is going to be sworn in uh, as the 46th president of the United States a few hours from now. If you guys haven't read this journal piece, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I I know, Andrew, it's maybe not your your paper of choice, but uh, just interesting how uh, they characterize some of his choices and where he goes from here, because we've got a 30 or 40 year history of what he's like, and we'll see whether he continues in that vein or or maybe doesn't continue in that vein.
1: Today on the podcast, Leon Cooperman. He's a billionaire investor, longtime hedge fund manager and philanthropist. He is chairman and CEO of his family office, Omega. In past appearances on Squawk Box, Cooperman, a longtime donor to Republican candidates, openly shared his journey
2: to the 2020 ballot box. We have a man with limited character who has good economic ideas, but he's very divisive in his dialogue. We have a man of decent character who I'm not sure what he stands for.
1: And when it was almost all said and done, Cooperman joined us the morning of November 6th, when votes were still being counted in several states a few days past election day. He spoke as one of the 81 million Americans who supported Joe Biden.
2: I think the most significant thing that came out of the election was I think the repudiation of the left.
1: This morning, while Squawk was on the air, Donald Trump left the White House for the last time as president. We checked in with Leon Cooperman again. Here's Becky.
4: Lee, you've been pretty open about your political bent the last several years and including what you thought about this most recent election. You said that you'd be voting for Joe Biden. Um, I I take it you did do that, and I just wonder what you think comes next for the markets.
2: Well, what I said on your program was I intended to vote my values and not my pocketbook. And my values did not lie with President Trump. I did not vote for President Trump in 2016. I voted Mitt Romney. I didn't vote for Hillary or or uh, um, uh, the president. Uh, and uh, frankly, um, I turned off on him uh, very early on in the game. You know, In 2016, I believe he thought it was appropriate to mock a New York Times reporter with cerebral palsy. And you learn when you're five years old, you don't make fun of handicapped people. And so he just, uh, you know, It's a a real shame. He could have gone into the textbooks as one of the great presidents. He did a lot of good things. He opened up a necessary dialogue on illegal immigration. He opened up a necessary dialogue on trade with China. Uh, We did have very good economic performance. Though I, I don't give him as much credit as people do. The economy before COVID, which was running at a fully employed level, was running a trillion dollar deficit. You're not supposed to have a trillion dollar deficit. We have a fully employed economy. So, you know, we then got COVID and now we're just, uh, we're spinning into oblivion. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, we have a very difficult situation out there because I think in the near term, it's hard to fight the market. You know, you have uh, extraordinarily stimulative fiscal and monetary policies, all of which I think is pulling demand forward, but somewhere along the way, we're gonna have to pay for the party when the party is over. You know, uh, we talk about the poor performance of the economy. I'm not an economist, but let me just uh, share with you numbers that strike me as interesting. If you talk to most economists, they would say trend real growth in the economy is probably around 2%. Trend real growth is derived by looking at the productivity growth of the economy, which is about 1.5%, and labor force growth, which is about a half of 1%. So trend real growth in the economy is 2%. If you talk to most economists today, they have real growth fourth quarter this year versus fourth quarter last year of 6%. So we're growing a three times trend, yet the Fed feels necessary to keep interest rates at zero. Okay? And what the Fed is doing is they're pushing everybody out in the risk curve. The person previously who uh, was very risk averse and bought T-bills concluded, I can't survive on zero, so I'm going to take duration risk and I'm going to buy T-bonds. The T-bond buyer says, well, 1% doesn't work for me. I'm going to buy industrial bonds. The industrial buying person concludes, I can't get by on 2 or 3%, so I'm going to buy high yield. The high yield buyer says, I can't get by on 4 or 5%, so I'm going to buy structured credit, structured, which is more opaque. The structured credit person says, well, given how hot the market is, I'm going to put 25% of my credit fund in equities, and the equity guy is now moving into Bitcoin. So everybody's moving that in the risk curve, and they're being forced in that direction by very stimulative fiscal monetary policies. And, and somewhere along the way, we're going to have to pay you this price. Um, and so, you know, I have this dual uh, uh, outlook. I think the near-term outlook is probably okay. Uh, uh, long-term, I think that we are borrowed from the future. And whenever you bought into the market, when we're selling at the present multiple of say 22 times or higher, you've never really made any serious money one year, three years, five years out. I think that's what we're looking at. I think we are borrowed from the future. And uh, we should understand as much as I voted for Biden, I voted for my value, who's not my pocketbook. He's talking about higher corporate tax rates, higher individual tax rate, higher capital gains tax rates. You know, we have more progressives in the government, more protectionism, you know. Uh, um, they're attacking these high-tech companies that are probably the main source of growth in the economy and have done a fabulous job in uh, dealing with the, with the virus. I mean, it, it's a less pro-business, less friendly business environment. At the same time, where the Fed and the Congress is just pouring more fuel on the fire. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing. You know, I, I, many times in your program, I quote the great John Templeton, who's observed, bull markets are born in pessimism, grow in skepticism, mature in optimism, and die in euphoria. There's a meaningful chunk of the market today that's in euphoria. You see 50% price move. You see a SPAC a minute coming. That, that's stuff that's ringing the bell, okay? On the other hand, I find a lot of things that uh, are attractive. So I'm finding things to do investments to be made but i'm very skeptical about the longer term outlook
4: let, let me ask if you are finding places that you, it, you know it does it, 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 because so often people say okay i'm concerned about things at the top and, and you think that they're pulling out of the market and putting money into cash but if you're finding things you like right now what what are some of those areas
2: well uh interesting i'm i'm very negative on fixed income but my largest position but that's investment grade fixed income my largest position is the company called legato Legato has 35 megahertz of spectrum that uh, has become controversial because some bogus objections by the Department of Defense. The, thank God, in this country spectrum policy is set by the FCC and not by the Department of Defense. The FCC spent over five years studying in great detail the application for the spectrum of uh, uh, Legato. They approved it by a bipartisan vote of five to zero. We recently had a C-band spectrum that brought in over $80 billion of bids, which tells you that there's a real need for spectrum in this country. Well, uh, Legato's got it. They have some bonds out there that I think you'll make 50% in three years with virtually no risk. Their first lien paper is 50 percent, trading around 103. Uh, they have a three-year make hole. So you gotta, you're going to get three years of coupons no matter what happens. And I believe somebody will buy this company. And I think the Department of Defense should be ashamed of themselves The way they raise bogus objections. And I think Ajit Pai, the outgoing chairman of the FCC, has done an outstanding job in vetting uh, uh, the application. One, on the other end of the spectrum, I think Largo, Legato's uh, uh, firstly notes are like a no-brainer to me. On the other end of the spectrum, somewhat more speculative, I like a small company. And again, don't go knocking it up immediately. It's a $600 million market cap. It's a company called Largo Resources. They're the second largest manufacturer of innatium in the world. Vanadium is an alloy used to strengthen steel. In 2018, which is not ancient history, they are in $400 million. The market cap, the company is under $600 million. They have net cash, and they are moving into the battery business. And the battery business, I don't know why, but you look at these publicly traded battery companies, they, they traded astronomical values. And this would be the only company in the battery business that's making money. I uh, like something called Athene, an insurance company says saves at five times earnings. You know. I went back and I looked at 1972 Nifty Fifty, and it's interesting, you know, at that time, JP Morgan, US Trust ruled the roost. They had a philosophy, only the right stock at any price. So Avon, 65 times earnings. Um, uh, IBM, 37 times earnings. GE, 25 times earnings. Eastman Kodak, 45 times earnings. Polaroid, 90 times earnings. Sears Robot, 31 times earnings. At that time, in 1972, the 10-year government was 6.5%. You look at companies today that are viewed to be very pricey. Amazon, 38 times next year's earnings. um, uh, Facebook, uh, 20 times next year's earnings. um, Google, basically, uh, trading, I don't know, 30-odd times next year's earnings. um, uh, Microsoft, 29 times earnings against interest rates of 1%. There's very few stocks that are overpriced. The the, the question you have to decide for yourself is 1% sustainable interest rates. I think not. And and I I believe someone along the way, we have to pay attention to what's going on in fiscal policy. This nation was founded 244 years ago. It took 244 years to take national debt from zero to 21 trillion. It's now knocking at the door 27, 28 trillion dollars, and it's going up at an unsustainable rate. So, um, and the economy is growing just fine. Let
4: me let me just back up a little, because when I read the notes that you had sent me uh, the night before, uh, I guess a, a night or two ago, I, I looked through and thought that you were more concerned about the market than you'd been in, in quite a while when you start looking at the yeah, indicators and not seeing any of the for. analysts. But then, uh, I but I then you just named a, a number of really decent stocks that have much lower um, P.E. ratios than the Nifty 50 that you were just citing. So would you buy yeah. some of those stocks as well?
2: No, I, my focus is more away from the, the new Nifty 50. I, I'm a value investor, and I, you know, all this hysteria about how overpriced the market is, I would just say the in part, part of the market is not out of whack with current interest rates. But I don't think current interest rates are sustainable. Okay, so uh, I... My biggest position of family office is Google. I have a big position in Microsoft. I have a small position in uh, Facebook. I have a meaningful position in Amazon, Uh, but that's not where I'm uh, trafficking. I'm trafficking in things like Athene, Ashland, uh, Global Holdings, Citigroup, Cigna, Comcast, Mr. Cooper, Energy Transfer. I have a decent sized position, General Motors. You know, I, I look for value. But I, I do have long-term concerns because I think the policies we're running are unsustainable. So we have this, this uh, push-pull. We have the uh, push of very, very stimulative fiscal monetary policies, hard to fight that presently. Okay, And then we have the pull of a new administration. I don't know why they're called progressives, to me they're retrogressives, but the progressives Uh, for more protectionism, more government regulation, higher taxes, higher capital gains taxes, higher corporate taxes, and they're going to rule the roost. And somewhere post uh, uh, this year, we're going to have to start dealing with some of the longer term problems. Uh, But again, I I voted against my economic interest uh, because I felt that the president was a divisive force in the economy. And if he only handled himself in a different, more intelligent manner, uh, he probably would have won a second term, but be there as it may. He's just not the character that I felt should lead the country. So I don't know if I'm confused I, I have long-term concerns.
4: No, you. I understand there's a lot of nuance in, in your opinions on these things, long-term concerns, and, and, and you hear a few things that sound like bell ringing. You mentioned SPACs before. W- what other types of things would make you think, okay, it's time to maybe step back from the table a little bit?
2: I think the dramatic Fluctuations in many individual companies. You know, the, the IPOs that are getting, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 billion dollar values with virtually no revenues and no earnings. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm also, I, I, it's clear that, you know, that's the canary in the coal mine. You know, uh, right. the 1972 I mean, Nifty
4: Lee, we're watching President Trump leaving the White House for the last time as president. He and Melania Trump, the first lady, walking out and addressing what looks like the media scrum there right now, uh, potentially giving some comments as he's ready to make his way to Marine One for the last time as president. Uh, Marine One will take him again to Andrew's Air Force Base, where he'll be um, boarding onto Air Force One and on his way down to, to Florida. Again, you see President Trump. And Melania Trump, the first lady, leaving the White House for the last time during his term as president. Lee, I want to thank you for your time. We'll definitely have you back more to talk about it. But again, a historic moment as President Trump leaves the White House.
2: You stay safe, stay healthy, and pray for the country. Let's pray for the new president.
4: Thank you, Lee.
1: Next on Squawk Pod, President Trump pardoning more than 100 people in his final hours Inside that list with CNBC's Eamon Javers.
3: It is certainly bipartisan in terms of the, the political corruption that the president is looking at here and saying, you know what, I think these people deserve a, a second or third or fourth chance in some cases.
1: What's on the horizon for financial markets? Today on Squawk Pod, the peaceful transition of power. And another end of one administration tradition, last-minute presidential pardons. Here's Joe Kernan and CNBC's Eamon
5: Javers. A uh, day you've been waiting for. Eamon, you're a Washington guy. This, uh,
3: this is why you're yep. in this business. That's right. This is a Washington day, that's for sure. And let's start with the outgoing president of the United States who began, who ended his term in office last night with a slew of pardons, nearly 150 pardons and commutations for a host of powerful and and famous people, including a number of the president's own allies and advisors, a raft of political corruption here being washed away by the president of the United States as he leaves office. Let's look at a couple of the notable names here amid this group of nearly 150, starting with uh, Elliot Broidy. He's the former deputy national finance chair of the Republican National Committee. He was convicted on one count of conspiracy to serve as an unregistered agent of a foreign principal. Steve Bannon, the president's former ally and advisor, they had an on-again, off-again relationship. It's apparently on again. Uh, He'll be spared his pending trial on charges. He raised money To privately build a wall along the southern border with mexico and then uh, pocketed those funds himself kwame kilpatrick the former mayor of detroit he served approximately seven years in prison for his role in racketeering and bribery Uh, randall duke cunningham uh, the former california congressman was released from prison in 2013 he was sentenced to over eight years imprisonment for accepting bribes while he held public office duke cunningham famous for that bribe menu that he had where he listed the prices for various official actions, and Lil Wayne, the rapper, uh, who pled guilty in December to carrying a loaded firearm while traveling on a private jet. All of those folks among the people who were pardoned here. And if you look at this list in total, uh, it really does read uh, like sort of a greatest hits list of recent American public corruption scandals. Uh, The president, though, deciding to step in in all of these cases and make life easier for those who were convicted or facing charges. No, uh, no
5: family members, no self-pardon, no Julian Assange, uh, Yep. What, what'd you call it? A a a a, uh, a raft of political ru- corruption being washed away. Did you that that was uh that was pretty yeah. good. Did you 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 had that ready to go? Top of the head, Joe. <laughs>
3: top of the head. I don't use <laughs> top really?
5: uh, All right. What happened to Assange?
3: I don't know. That's interesting. You know, at no Julian Assange. Although there was an aggressive lobbying campaign there, uh, no Edward Snowden. Maybe the president decided his his loyalty didn't lie there, or it was a bridge too far. You know, the Steve Bannon one is interesting, right, because Bannon is sort of uh, an antagonist of Mitch McConnell. And the, Trump and Bannon have had these falling outs over the years. Uh, but Trump deciding at the last minute here to include him on this list, you know, Bannon was... The, the accusation here is that he was raising money for the the border wall with Mexico on a private basis and simply pocketed the money to use for his own personal expenses, taking advantage of Trump's own supporters uh, who would have been the donors to that project. Uh, nonetheless, the president deciding to, to wash that away. Uh, you wonder how all of this will land up on Capitol Hill, where those senators are considering the president's impeachment by the House of Representatives in a trial well, that's going to start in a That's day what night. they
5: said, that an Assange pardon would have, would have thrown some Republicans into the impeachment camp, supposedly. I remember some good yeah. ones in the past. I remember Mark Rich was a really good one. Uh, they, 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 We've we've had some good ones uh, in the past, uh, that's for sure. Uh, I I don't know. I thought some people would have been disappointed that there Mm -hmm. wasn't even more red meat here uh, on the way out, Amen. especially family members or... Uh, I don't know. It could have been some others.
3: Yeah. No, no self-pardon attempt, which would have been constitutionally suspect. No family members here, nobody with the last name Trump uh, on this list, uh, but a lot of the president's advisors and allies no over Rudy. the years. And then, you know, some Democrats. I mean, Kwame Kilpatrick is a Democrat. I mean, there are... Uh, it is certainly bipartisan uh, in terms of the, the political corruption <laughs> that the president is looking at here and saying, you know what, I, I think these people deserve a, a second or third or fourth chance in some cases. But it's it's nearly 150 people. There's a lot to go through here, and I think as the day goes on, yep. uh, you know, we'll find more in here some of these lesser known names. But there are people here associated with the Jack Abramoff scandal, the Duke Cunningham scandal. You know, who, who, who like was uh, geological who, who, layers of Washington corruption are represented here. Who spoke out for Little Wayne? How did that do you know in background there? It's a really good question. I mean, I think one of the great you know, investigative uh, stories here over the next couple of weeks is going to be to figure out the backstory to each one of these pardons. You know, in the, in the pardon list, the, the, the White House does actually provide, you know, some of the people who advised each of the, uh, advised the president to, to issue these pardons. You know, for example, in the case of Duke Cunningham, uh, it says that former Speaker Newt Gingrich was, was supportive. I don't have the list in front of me, so I can't tell you who's listed right. for little Wayne, but there, I'm sure there's an epic backstory for each one of these.
6: Yeah, I was going to say, Eamon, the ones that caught my eye, you know, Anthony uh, Lewandowski, uh, former Googler, uh, who apparently was accused of yeah. you know, stealing that information, going to Uber, uh, being supported by Peter Thiel, being supported by Michael Ovitz. These are all uh, people in the Squawk Box uh, universe. Palmer Lucky, sure. who was the uh, founder of Oculus, supported that. Uh, 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 pardon. Ken Kurson, uh, friend of... Uh, Kushner, but more importantly, was the editor-in-chief of the New York Observer. Um, and then uh, Zangrillo, who has been part of this Varsity Blues admissions scandal uh, that people have been so uh, fascinated by over these years. And then I don't remember. Do you remember the Walters insider trading case that we we all covered almost sure. hour by hour that 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 connected Phil Mickelson at one point And uh, Carl Icahn was accused of being part of it. So there's so many uh, sort of unique and interesting characters Uh, that that very much live, I think, within also the business community uh, that we cover uh, so often.
3: Yeah, the common theme here seems to be that these are people who are wealthy, well-connected, or well-known, right? I mean, that seems to be generally the the running through line in all of this, people who had access to people close to the president, who had a lot of money to spend. Uh, There are reports that a lot of the lawyers around the president have been charging enormous fees to advocate to the president uh, for some of these pardons. So I think You know, the follow the money is going to be interesting as well on on a lot of these, and especially those names that you mentioned. Yes.
5: Squawk box universe. We mean, Andrew, like the business uh, universe of covering business stories. They're not actually squawk box uh, universe type. I mean. Right, Andrew. Just to make no, that clear, but, of course. But, no, but I know, you know what you're saying. The
6: way I look stories at stories we've covered, the way stories I look covered. at these lists, I go down the list and I go, "Who is it that we either right. have exactly. had, either as guests Squat potentially Fox or universe, people who are uh, support?" I mean, we've obviously coworkers. we've interviewed Peter Thiel. We've had Palmer Lucky on the show. Right. Right. Michael Ovitz. The idea that they're supporting uh, this th- that that Uber case, yeah. which we we covered. Uh, almost religiously no, that, yeah. that the Walters no inside a trading Holmes. case we covered no I remember it. almost every there. morning for a whole period. No, uh, right. no, no. no I mean, you guys have bro. a chair
3: on that set just for the indicted and the accused. Yeah, no pharma, bro. No, set there's no chairs for anyone here right, right.
5: now, right. Except, except for me. Not right now.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
1: And that's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx.